All right. This is not Kim Wade. This is Chris Hinkle. I'm not your radio strong man. I'm your radio G-man sitting in for Kim today. Excited about the opportunity to come in and talk today. Uh, we're scheduled to have a uh, newly developed friend of mine. We were uh, both retired FBI agents, and he's going to call in in just a few, and that's Thomas Baker. Uh, Thomas has written a book called The Fall of the FBI, and Thomas goes through some of the history of the FBI, a little bit about his background, and of course he he maintained touch with a lot of people in the FBI, so he has a good bit of uh, information, really has his finger on the pulse of what has been happening to the FBI, what's been going on with the FBI, and we're going to talk a little bit about his background and what we can do to try to get this uh, train back on its tracks. I would tell you right now, it's my personal opinion, train is off the tracks. It is more than just some problems going on on the seventh floor where the executives sit at the FBI headquarters. It is starting to infiltrate a lot of the rank and file. Before we get started, I want to give a shout out, and I had this conversation earlier in a text message group with Kim and producer Cliff and uh, Clay Edwards in Jameson Haygood, and uh, of course Clay's little buddy, Sean Uh, Yurt-Curran. Anyway, I had an incident the other night, so I, I have a private business that I run on the side in retirement and I had the uh, I was up north doing some law firm support we'll say that and helping out up there I I do that from time to time Uh, I'm not here to promote by my business or anything like that I keep my business uh, pretty much uh, private you can find me if you need to out there I am on LinkedIn I do have a business website So anyway, I want to tell you a little incident that happened, and I want to give this shout-out to Two-Gun Tactical. Uh, I have not visited Two-Gun Tactical. I know they're building a new business over there in Ridgeland. I do plan to visit it. Uh, But hopefully hopefully my experience – sorry about that. thought I had my phone silenced. Uh, My experience uh, was night before last. So I'm up in North Mississippi doing this work. And I have a concealed carry permit. I have an enhanced concealed carry permit. Uh, the reason I have an enhanced concealed carry permit is because I am a retired federal agent. I do have access uh, to uh, all 50 states to con- carry concealed uh, through House Resolution 218. So every year I go through training to recertify and get my certification card. So legally, I'm allowed to carry concealed in all 50 states. There are some states that will make it difficult for me to do that until they verify all the information about it. But that's a story for another day. So let's get back to why I think you should visit Two-Gun Tactical and learn how to defend yourself with a firearm. So it was late at night. I couldn't get into the hotel that I wanted to get in in uh, very north Mississippi. And they recommended the hotel across the street. So I got in over there. It's an older hotel, but reasonably safe. Uh, It was clean, at least. Got my stuff in the room, and I needed to go back to get some things out of my vehicle. Went out to the parking lot, uh, got some things out. My dad called me on the phone. We were chatting uh, out there in the parking lot. And I noticed that there was this man, Hispanic male, about six foot two. And he was stumbling around near the door, and it looked like he was trying to get in. There's a side door to the hotel. He was trying to use his card that wasn't working. He uh, 
or couldn't get his card in the slot because he was inebriated. He'd gone up and down the stairs. I'd watched him a little bit. So as I moved into the middle of the parking lot, he saw me and turned and said something to me in Spanish. Now, I, I speak some Spanish, probably speak more Turkish than I do Spanish. Um, Sean, your current, and I were discussing that earlier today, and I may pass on some words here for uh, Cliff to pass along to others, uh, some Turkish phrases for him. But anyway, this guy looks at me, and he says something in Spanish, and he clearly wanted me to go over and open the door for him. I just said, hey, I don't understand what you're saying. Go to the front desk. I'm not opening the door because there's a delay after I open the door and close it that he could still pull it and open and come in. And I said, hey, go to the front desk. And he stumbled around, and then he said something again in Spanish. And I said, like I said, don't speak the language. Go to the front desk. Talk to the receptionist if you need to get into your room. I'm not opening the door. And then he started taking steps toward me. And I backed up a little bit into the parking lot, got about far enough where I was comfortable uh, that I could at least evade if I needed to. And I said, you need to stop right where you are. I put my hand up and he decided to take some more steps. So at that time, I pulled my shirt up, put my hand on, put my hand on the tang of the gun, uh, that, that little area between my index finger and my thumb, put it on the gun got it seated, was ready to pull it, and he put his hands up immediately and started to back away. And I said, like I said, back away. So he kind of staggered off, still stayed near the door, and there were two construction workers that were in the parking lot, and they said, hey, buddy, are you okay? I said, yeah, I'm fine. And I went over and talked with them for just a moment and eventually got around to the point that I'm retired law enforcement and that I do carry. But one thing that I noticed, and I had a discussion with, uh, about this with uh, this guy that I would consider one of the experts, the top experts in firearms uh, from my time with the FBI. Uh, I said, I noticed something. My pulse never really went up. Uh, I, I just reverted back to the training that I had over 25 years of repetition. I bladed myself. I turned where I could move in any direction. I wasn't backed into a corner where I had no choice. And I was prepared to pull a gun if I needed to, because it's not about whether or not this other individual has a weapon. If you involve yourself in a fight with someone that has a gun, you're in a gunfight, whether you have a gun or not. Uh, the other thing is this guy was significantly larger than I am. I'm not a huge guy of stature. I can handle myself. But I'm not going to test that out on somebody that I don't know in a parking lot. So if you're coming at me and I've identified myself and you know I'm armed, you're choosing to engage in a gunfight. So I knew how I would have handled the situation had he advanced, and I couldn't, I had no other choices. Uh, it's the things that I've taught my children, taught my wife. You point, you shoot to eliminate the threat. So. The, uh, the question would be probably asked later on, uh, why did you shoot him nine times? I would say, well, eight times obviously was insufficient to eliminate the threat, and ten would have been one too many. That, but I would have given that answer after speaking with my legal counsel. I'm not talking to anybody after that shoot. As a matter of fact, I want to go get checked out at the hospital, make sure that I'm not uh, in any type of medical condition. But anyway, just wanted to tell you that. Shout out. Two-Gun Tactical, 
talk to Kim, Clay, or Jameson about how to get in touch with them. Get yourself some training. Uh, whether or not you want to have your own firearm, at least experience it. Go up there. They'll let you take some test shots, and you can figure out how you're, you're going to address the situation. So on the line right now, we have our special guest. Now, this individual is Thomas J. Baker. Uh, said I can call him Tom. And he has written a book called The Fall of the FBI, How a Once Great Agency Became a Threat to Democracy. I've read the book already, and I went back looking through some chapters, and Tom and I had a little bit of a conversation the other night and got some things that we're going to cover. Tom has agreed, uh, if we need be, to be here for the full two hours. We're going to try to get through the things that uh, Tom and I want to discuss in the first hour. In the second hour, we'll try to open the phone lines up. So if you want to call in and talk about anything that's going on here, uh, you can do so by calling the Complete Exteriors call-in line at 601-879-0002. That's Complete Exteriors, and you can visit them on the web at completeexteriorsms.com. So on the line right now, I have my newly minted friend, Tom Baker. Tom, how are you doing today? I'm doing fine. Great to be with you, Chris. Thank you for being patient while I told that little bit of a story. It was something that the uh, the other radio show host here had, had encouraged me to, to pass along to give a shout-out to Two-Gun Tactical and some of the fine training that they've done. So, so Tom, I, you have you and I crossed paths for a very short period of time. Uh, you had spent 31 years in the FBI. I spent a little over 20, and you retired shortly after I came on board, but you have kept your finger on the pulse of the FBI. So why don't you give us a little bit of background, uh, a, a good synopsis of your career and how you got to the uh, your, your things that you did immediately, you know, after retirement and how you got to this point where you've kept your finger on the pulse of what's going on in the FBI. So let's learn a little bit more about Thomas Baker. Okay, thank you, Chris. Well, I grew up uh, in New York City. Uh, I'm going way back to start there. I shouldn't go back that far. But essentially, there were a lot of law enforcement people in my family, my grandfather, my uncles. And I always was involved in interested in law enforcement. And uh, I joined the FBI, as I lay out in the book. And I had a wonderful career of 33 years, had a lot of good assignments around the country and ended up being a what they call in the FBI a legal attache. I was the agent assigned at American embassies overseas. And that was a another aspect and fantastic, interesting thing. I had the opportunity over those 33 years to work with a lot of wonderful people on a lot of interesting and exciting cases. And uh, looking back on it, actually to do a lot of good. So over the years, I would be with people and tell stories. And uh, a lot of people in the FBI, yourself included, undoubtedly have the experience. You mentioned some story at a dinner party and people just look at you and they say, you ought to write a book. And, of course, I heard that many times over the years, uh, but I never did write a book. I wrote a few articles on some major cases I was involved in, such as the attempted assassination of President Reagan, uh, but I never wrote a book. And then after retiring from the FBI for almost 20 years now, I stayed very much engaged with the FBI and with law enforcement as it was a consultant to the FBI and the CGIS Division, which is the Criminal Justice Information uh, Services Division in West Virginia, which uh, helps state and local law enforcement throughout the country through 
fingerprints and, and other databases that they maintain. And uh, I was involved with the FBI through the National Academy Associates. That's a group of graduates of the FBI Academy and also serving on the board of directors of the Justice Credit Union, sitting alongside for the last 20 years, FBI and DOJ executives. So I got to see the changes that happened. I got to deal with Director Mueller and then Director Comey on a number of occasions through those associations. And I became more and more concerned as I saw the change in culture in the FBI. And I know you did, too. Um, I don't want to keep going on. Do you have uh, another question for me? You didn't want me to keep Well, keep... well it, it's interesting you bring up that with the uh, change in culture. That was uh, one of the things, and you, t- you talk about it in your book, about how uh, Robert Mueller was caught flat-footed when briefing George W. Bush after 9-11. And can you talk to us a little bit about that? I, I don't want to regurgitate what's in your book. You can tell the story so much more eloquently than I can. But can you talk to us a little bit about what happened after 9-11 and how Robert Mueller was caught flat-footed? Well, what happened was uh, this. Mueller, uh, historically— and, and Mueller's told us this, told me this personally, and told it to groups I was part of on numerous occasions. The uh, uh, we were the United States was attacked on September 11th, as everybody knows. But what a lot of people may have forgotten is that Mueller had just become the FBI director just a few days before the actual attack, uh, which happened on a, a Tuesday. I believe. And uh, on the Saturday, the following Saturday morning, September 15th, he was summoned to the presidential retreat in Camp David, Maryland, in the in the uh, wooded section of uh, Maryland. Uh, And he thought he was there to give a report on the FBI investigation. Well, in nearly three and a half days between the, the attack on September 11th and that early that Saturday morning, the FBI had done what it does best, investigate. And in that short period of time, the FBI managed to identify all 19 hijackers, their travel history, their financing, their associations, uh, all the rental cars they rented, all their luggage. Uh, There was a whole lot of investigation done and a whole lot learned about them in a very short period of time. And Mueller presented this report uh, to George Bush in the, in this cabin at Camp David with the other members of the National Security Council there, sitting immediately at President George W. Bush's right hand was Condoleezza Rice, and other uh, people of that ilk were scattered around the room in this rustic cabin. And when he was finished giving the report... Well, wait, wait one minute. Tom, can you hold on just one second? We've got to take a quick break. Folks, we're going okay. to hear a little inside baseball about what was going on after September 11th from Thomas Baker, who heard it directly from Robert Mueller. We'll be back right after this message on WYAB. Hey, Tom. Yes. Hey, uh, we're off air right now. There's like a mmm, mmm that's ha- that happens uh, a little bit. Are you, is it your phone vibrating or is there something you're close to in the background? Uh, 
It's not doing it now. It, it surprisingly okay, stopped. It deleted. There was an alarm apparently. Oh, <laughs> okay. So I just deleted the alarm. Okay, cool. Yeah, we could hear like a, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I I looked through and I took some notes on your your book. So uh, when we come back from the break here in just a moment, uh, you know, I wanted to leave a little bit of a cliffhanger for them about you giving us a little bit of this inside baseball stuff, and then. Uh, I've got a couple other topics from your your book here that I, I wanted to get your thoughts on. Okay. All right. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna go back to on the break right now, and you'll hear us come back on the air in just a moment. Okay. Thanks, Tom. All right. We're back on WYAB. This is Chris Hinkle, your radio G man, in for the radio strongman Kim Wade. Uh, as I mentioned, ooh man, it's a lot of feedback there. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, we're we're gonna we're in a conversation right now with retired FBI agent Thomas Baker. Uh, we're not gonna take any calls in the first hour. We'll probably try to work some in in the second hour. So take some notes, write some things down of what you want to talk about. But Tom, you were in the middle of telling us the the uh, inside baseball background story as conveyed to you by Robert Mueller of his conversation with the president and his staff. Uh, shortly after 9-11, that Saturday after 9-11. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yes. So he, so what he thought they had to do was report. Are you there, Tom? Yeah, here. Okay, it, it was cutting out a little bit. We were getting some feedback. Uh, try it now. Okay. Perhaps it'd be better um, instead of a is this better? Uh, it it was still cutting out just a little bit. Um, are are you in a, a bad cell phone area or? No, no. Usually everything's excellent. Here. Okay, wait. It, it sounds really good right now. So uh, so go ahead. So it's Saturday after nine eleven, uh, after yeah, that Tuesday so- morning, and Robert Mueller, Condoleezza Rice, the president, and others are there. Uh, I, from what I understand or I recall from your book and from stories that I've heard. They uh, there were also briefings from uh, representatives of other intelligence agencies. Yes, and so Mueller presented first what uh, what he had done, what the FBI had accomplished in a nearly three and a half days, and they had done what they do best: investigate. Okay. So he was done with the presentation, expecting some personal things. Uh, the president just said to him, I don't care about it. I just want to know if prevent the next one. He was humiliated. After he was done speaking, George Tennant, then the director of the CIA, got up and he was playing about Hey, hey, Tom, let, let's take a break for a minute. Can you call back, uh, hang up and call right back, and uh, the producer Cliffs here is going to try to get you on a better line. We're we're having some issues here. We actually had somebody else call in and say that they were having some difficulty. So if you could uh, do us a favor, uh, go ahead and cut this call, and then call us back, and let's see if we get a, a better connection. Okay, right, All right now. All right, so while Tom is calling us back, he is uh, telling us about a story, and I had heard this story as well. As I've mentioned a number of times on this air, I was in Washington, D.C. on 
I was uh, working that morning. I responded to the Pentagon. I dug in the rubble pile. I've lost friends to cancer from our exposure at the Pentagon, and I get checked out every year. So 9-11 has some significance for me. But I had heard this story as well that uh, Robert Mueller was caught flat-footed by what George Bush had asked him, which is, I don't really care about what you found out. I want to know what you're doing to prevent the next attack. So, uh, Tom, let's see if we got a better line now, and uh, can you go ahead with that story? So then that Saturday morning, when Mueller was done talking, uh, George Tennant, then the director of the CIA, got up, and he presented a plan of action going forward. When Tennant was done, and there's several people that have recorded this in, in their memoirs as well, uh, the president said, that's great. And he turned and looked directly at Mueller, and he said, that's what I want to hear. Mueller, who's a very proud man, was humiliated by this. And he told us later, and he told several groups of agents and, and major city police chiefs in the, in the weeks following that, that that's when he decided that he would have to change the culture of the FBI. And he set about to change the FBI from a, what he called a law enforcement mindset to an intelligence-driven organization. Now, some people would say, well, there were reasons for that, perhaps, but it had a lot of unintended consequences, and it goes back basically to this, Chris. In a law enforcement agency, you live, you exist every day for when the day comes that you have to stand up in court or before a judge, before a magistrate, raise your right hand and swear to tell the truth the whole truth, and nothing but the truth as to a set of facts. That's very different than an intelligence mindset where you deal in estimates and best guesses. They call them uh, an intelligence estimate, but guesses aren't allowed in the courtroom. So it creates a whole different mindset and a whole different approach to how you do your work. Yeah, that's that's been my experience also, and I remember at the time... There was a little bit more weight on uh, on Director Mueller because there was a lot of talk about dividing the agency up, the FBI, splitting it up into uh, an intelligence agency and then a law enforcement agency. And that was that was kind of my experience pre 9-11. And I had some conversations with some friends of mine that what I called worked on the other side of the house. I, I worked in the criminal the criminal side. You had criminal and national security you know, the NS squads. And I remember talking to them. I, I said, what do you guys do when you come across things that are, do you all cross-reference it with what's going on in my criminal cases? Because I don't have the ability to cross-reference it with your cases. And they were on a totally different platform. And he said, no, we, we have analysts that look into things. And that was based off a little, uh, little wonky uh, inside baseball stuff off a of Jamie Gorelick memo that kept those things separate. Uh, and at that time, I, I remember there was an intent, intense pressure. If Mueller didn't make some changes, it was they were going to split the FBI up. Yes, and that would have been disastrous because one of the strengths of the FBI, and it comes from their law enforcement work, is that the FBI, being a law enforcement agency, has connectivity to all the state and local police in the United States. As you know, there's only about 11,000 FBI agents, but we have literally hundreds of thousands of state and local police in this country. They're in every corner. They're in the smallest town. And they, they are 
in a manner of speaking, the fingers on the hands of the FBI or the hands on the arm of the FBI. And it's a force multiplier that cannot be underestimated. And being if there was a pure and civilian intelligence agency, that that advantage, that connectivity to state and local police who are everywhere in this country would have been lost. But Mueller's change in culture changed a lot of the mindset, changed the approach to the work. And uh, there's just a tradition in intelligence agencies because they do deal in estimates and best guesses, and they do deal in the political realm a lot more, that they're always trying to please their political master. So it's a little more loosey-goosey, whereas in the pure law enforcement agency, which the FBI had that mindset, even though they often did counterintelligence or counterterrorism work, the, the mindset was to stay with the facts, to stay within the facts. And a change specifically that Mueller made was the centralization of investigations to model it more on the CIA, the intelligence agencies, who are very centralized. Uh, traditionally in the FBI, as you know, but a lot of people don't know, and it, it really is a strength, that investigations will run from the field. So you had a, a case agent uh, who ran the case. Uh, he had an immediate supervisor, a field supervisor, in that office somewhere in the United States. And then there was a special agent in charge of that office. And only then would the reporting go back to FBI headquarters in Washington. Mueller changed that with the September 11th investigations. It was the first investigation run out of headquarters. A lot of bureau executives at that time, and they, they have told me this and documented, pushed back against Mueller and said, that's not the way to do things. It should be run from the field. And in the case of the September 11th attacks, the logical place would have been the Washington field office or the New York field office, both of which had international squads that had been looking at al-Qaeda, who we now know was responsible for the attacks, for a long time. But he pushed back against that. And quite frankly, and I'm not telling any secrets out of school because a lot of people would, it's been their experience, Mullet really didn't like, he wasn't comfortable with a lot of agents, and he particularly wasn't comfortable with the agents in charge. He denounced them, he called them little dukes who ran their own little baronies. So he wanted centralization. Well, he got that. The September 11th investigations were the first cases run out of headquarters, and that model was then followed by his hand-picked successor, James Comey, who ran the Hillary Clinton email investigation and the Russian collusion investigation out of headquarters. That had disastrous consequences because you lost levels of review, you lost levels of independent judgment. So instead of that case agent giving his opinions initially and being corrected or guided by his field supervisor and then by the SAC, these decisions were all made in headquarters, no levels of review, no levels of independent judgment. So you have a character like Peter Strzok, a deputy assistant director, very high executive. Hey, hey, hey Tom, let's, let's, let's put a pin in that one right now, and let's come back and talk about Strzok. And I have some uh, questions for you about some other delegations of authority, uh, whether they were actual or, uh, or implied or believed. Uh, this is Chris Hinkle in for Kim Wade on the Kim Wade Show at WYAB. We'll be right back with Thomas Baker. All right, we're back here on WYAB. 
As I mentioned, we're not going to be taking any calls in the first hour. We'll open up the phone lines in the second hour. Uh, <coughs> so you can take your notes, write the number down. It is 601-879-0002. That is the Complete Exteriors call-in line. Uh, all your Complete Exteriors needs, contact uh, them at contact Eddie at 601-326-2755, or you can visit them on the interwebs at completeexteriorsms.com. All right, we're back talking with Thomas Baker, and he started bringing up some topics of how Robert Mueller had shifted a lot of the decision-making processes away from the field and things were being centrally run from FBI headquarters. I can tell you that for a fact I watched that transformation when I was in the FBI uh, with the creation of new divisions, with new positions. Uh, prior to 9-11, we didn't have anything, uh, any position called an executive assistant director. You had assistant directors that were in charge of divisions. They reported to the deputy director, uh, who right above him was the FBI director. Now you've got two or three more layers added on top of that. So you were mentioning about Peter Strzok. Uh, who is not well liked by? I, I haven't. I've yet to meet a fellow retired FBI agent that has anything positive to say about that man. Either he, or Andrew McCabe, or Kevin Kleinsmith, uh, or any of them. So you were mentioning something about Peter Strzok, Thomas. Yes. Well, that's an example of the centralization, uh, which eliminated the, the the independent judgment and review. So. An outstanding example, which is well-documented now historically, uh, was Peter Strzok, who on a, came in on a Sunday and opened, wrote the opening communication in FBI language, the EC, opening the case of the investigation of the Russian collusion in the election. He drafted it. He signed it out. He approved it. And then the following day on Monday, he traveled to London, England uh, with another agent to conduct the first interview in that case. And it was all keyed off of this reported conversation with this fellow Papadopoulos in London. Yeah. And, and at uh, this, you got to remember, at this time, uh, Peter Strzok was a deputy assistant director in the counterterrorism division. And uh, I, I know during my time, at least prior to 9-11, we didn't have cases being run, authored, opened, or anything. They were just on the approval line as somebody you, you kind of let them know what you were already doing and that your management had decided you were going to do in the field. Uh, it was very unusual to have the OO, as they call it, the originating office, be somebody from a deputy assistant director position. Yes, right out of headquarters, no no review, uh, no independent judgment involved, the same person opening Case as going out and conducting the interview case. And as we know from their text messages, uh, Deputy Assistant Director Peter Strzok was answering and in regular contact with, excuse me, Deputy Assistant Director Peter Strzok was in regular contact with the Deputy Director, Andy McCabe, who seemed to be calling the shots on the whole matter. Uh, another little side issue there was by that this time, Comey was the director who was the hand-picked successor to Bob Mueller. He called that shot. And Comey kind of floated above it all. So McCabe was really running this and and using Strzok, another executive, to actually carry out the leads. It was bound to end badly. 
Hey, real quick, uh, tell me if this was your experience, because you were in uh, almost two decades before I came on with the FBI. <clears throat> what I try to convey to people is the experts in the FBI typically aren't in the upper echelons of management, and that's because they lack the investigative experience. So somebody like, excuse me, an Andrew McCabe that only came into the FBI a couple of years before I did, uh, that he had moved his way through management, he probably spent maybe five, six years in the field actually working cases and then began ascending up through management as a, you know, as a supervisory special agent at headquarters and a field desk supervisor, then probably back to headquarters who became an assistant special agent in charge. And then from there moved on to uh, a senior executive position, either as a, uh, you know, a, a deputy assistant director or a section chief and then up into management. So you have someone that at this time, uh, probably by 20, uh, let's say 2016, he would have had close to 20 years in the Bureau. Uh, actually, I think he, yeah, about 2016, he would have had 20 years in the Bureau because one of my special agents in charge was his classmate. Uh, Andrew McCabe had literally about five to six years of a field investigative experience. And now you've got a person that hasn't worked a case in probably 12 years, 12 years or more, uh, calling the shots on cases and putting them together. And you and I both know it's uh, if you if you leave as a street agent, go to FBI headquarters and spend 10 years, and then you decide to come back to the field as a senior GS-13 street agent, you're going to be trying to play catch-up with GS-13 agents, street agents who've been doing it for 12 to 15 years. You're going to be behind the power curve trying to catch up with them. And that, that I think, it's my opinion, that that was a significant problem. You had inexperienced people, uh, not to mention their political agenda, that they had, but they were they were strictly inexperienced. Peter Strzok and Andrew McCabe did not have the field experience of the majority of the FBI agents. Well, yes, you're correct, Chris, and that's part and parcel of so many of these administrative changes that Mueller made and Comey followed up on. That was a combination one-two punch. Uh, the the cultural change initiated by Mueller, and then the the uh, the, the poor leadership of Comey. And, and these individuals, uh, regardless of how much experience they had or didn't have, you had the same exact individuals in, in the case of the Russian collusion investigation and the Hillary Clinton investigation, making all the decisions in the case and carrying out the investigation. There was nobody else reviewing their work, where traditionally, as you know, an agent in the field, his work is reviewed, as I said, by the field supervisor and then by the SAC, and ultimately uh, headquarters has program or general oversight of, of what's going on in the field offices. Uh, it was a situation that Mueller created that was bad to end, that was bound to end badly. I agree. That, that change was, and it happened really fast. Uh, from I remember looking back on it in my experience. Um Real quick, because we've got a few minutes here before we have to take a hard break, That'll and then after that's a short break before we uh, take the break at the top of the hour. Um, you talked about the change in culture, and that's one of the things that, that I got from your book. You talked about 
how faith, family, and school played into your character, uh, formed your character and your beliefs. And it's interesting that I see today, uh, especially in uh, in what's going on in the media, the not the attempts, but the actual undermining of those things, of faith, family, and school. I, I saw that firsthand happening in the FBI, especially with the uh, introduction of the diversity and inclusion programs, the stressing on uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, was that based, you know, based on your experience, was that something that you observed during your time in the Bureau, or is it more something that you heard from people like me that, that picked up the torch and were moving on through the Bureau after you retired? Uh, that happened uh, after September 11th and after I retired, but as I I was in and have continued to be in very close touch uh, with with FBI agents and with FBI executives and with people in law enforcement who depend on the FBI. And it's 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 become painfully obvious that that's what happened. And I must tell you, in the course of writing this book, The Fall of the FBI, uh, I've done a lot of book signing and book talks all around the country. And I have people coming up to me current FBI employees at, at every level, uh, and sometimes their spouses, and they tell me, boy, you, you, you've really touched on what the problem is. And uh, in a way, it's heartening to know that I'm on the right track, but in another way, it's very discouraging to realize how bad things are. Well, one, one thing I did want to ask you, and, and I was discussing this with producer Cliff here during the break, um, People will often question, hey, you seem to be outspoken now. You seem to be outspoken after you left the FBI. You know, did you uh, not develop a conscience until you left the FBI? And I, I'll be inter- I'd be interested in how you would answer someone asking you that question. I, I can tell you from my perspective, what I tell them is, well, I adhere to the law. So I didn't speak out on politics and things like that because of the Hatch Act. I didn't want to... Uh, bring any concern or question of my character and integrity by advocating one way or another for a political party, much less the fact that the law says I can't do that. The second that I adhere to is, although the FBI wasn't a military uh, organization when I came into it, it's very it was structured much like the military. So when you handled problems, you handled them through your chain of command. You dealt with your supervisor, uh, your supervisor's supervisor, and typically they would ask those questions. So what I'd like to do is we're getting ready to take a break. Can you think about that for a minute and tell me how would you answer that question if someone were to ask you, well, you waited till after you got out of the FBI to write this book. It seems like you got a conscience after you retired. How do you reconcile that to someone asking that question? So we're going to take a quick break for uh, a little bit of payment to uh, the the kitty here so that so that we can stay on the air this is chris hinkle in for kim wade on the kim wade show on wyab ab got my new good friend thomas baker author of the fall of the fbi on the line and before we've got a couple minutes here for the hard break at the top of the hour but i wanted to get tom's perspective on this tom how would you reconcile how would you answer this question if someone came up to you and asked you know we didn't hear anything from you while you were inside the fbi uh calling into question or 
uh, or asking uh, cogent questions about some of the 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 activities of people in the FBI. And then you wrote a book after you got out. Did you just develop a conscience after you got out of the FBI? I, I know the answer to this, but I want to hear how you would answer someone that would ask you that question. Well, frankly, Chris, it was never really an issue. A lot of these problems have come to the surface beforehand. The ethos in the FBI was there was very much grounded in the Constitution. And I know that uh, might sound to some people, but when, when I was in, when we were in New Agents training, a lot of the classroom work was spent on the Constitution, and it was drilled into us, the entire Constitution, but particularly the Bill of Rights. And then particularly in, in studying the Bill of Rights, there was a lot of time spent on the intricacies of the Fourth, Fifth, and Sixth Amendment. And I distinctly remember uh, our legal instructors, who were really wonderful instructors, uh, telling us, reminding us that we should not see the Fourth, Fifth, and Sixth Amendment as obstacles to doing our job, but we should embrace them. And in fact, at the end of our training, our legal instructors gave those all right. Uh, Tom, let's hold that thought and let's pick it up on the other side of the hour. This is Chris Hinkle in for Kim Wade on WYAB, and we'll be back in the second hour with more conversation with Thomas Baker. Unfiltered, no sugar added talk radio. Welcome back. It's hour two of the realest show on radio, the Clay Edward Show with Sean Yurt Karan. Guys, this segment brought to you. Well, you know what? First, a couple of happy birthdays to get out of the way. Mm. A couple of happy birthdays. Uh, one of me and Sean's good buddies, Rene. Happy birthday, brother. What are you, 35 now? Yeah, happy birthday, Rene. Uh, I, I think he's 55. Like, no. The, the only guy I know that has a kid going to Yale. He or does. Harvard. Is it Yale or Harvard? Yeah, I graduated from Yale. Yale, that's pretty cool. Astrophysics too. Kids, uh, kids, kids, brilliant. From Mississippi to astrophysics. Yep, that's cool. Uh, Sean McDaniel, my favorite Capitol policeman. Well, one of, one of my top five favorite Capitol policemen. In case the other four are listening, <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. Love you, Sean. Keep doing what you do, brother. Happy birthday. Uh, Sean leads. You know they do that fit that fit cop challenge mm-hmm. deal every year. Yeah. Uh, uh, it go? Law fit. Law fit. Thank you. He does law fit every year. So, uh, business owners, uh, if you're interested in sponsoring <laughs> law fit and uh, sponsoring our local, our statewide law enforcement guys that go and battle it out, no, not statewide, or from across the state, the different agencies, uh, get with Sean, man. Uh, they're always looking for sponsors to do that. But of course, don't do that if unless you're going to sponsor the Clay Edwards show. So let's tie it together. Yeah, let's tie it together. All right, all joking aside, man, uh, love Sean, love Renee, both of them good folks, and uh, one of them was listening, so good good, good there, Sean, listening. All right, uh, real quick, this segment brought to you by Acme Pizza and Daiquiri's. Get over to Acme this weekend and enjoy 
I'm telling y'all guys, I know we've, they've been a sponsor for a while now. You can kind of get numb to it when you hear it all the time. But if you haven't been out there, get out there, check it out. Uh, they've got on Saturday nights, man, they're doing DJs now. And I think that is just really cool. It's not till like nine o'clock. I mean, once the, uh, once the, uh, the crowd has kind of died down some from the family dinner stuff and all that. I must be on the wrong Facebook page here. I think they got two. Um, but anyway, they got a DJ this Saturday night. I think it's, if I remember right, DJ Hayes this Saturday night. Not sure who that is. But hey, get out there, check them out. It doesn't really matter who the DJ is. The entertainment's going to be fun. The pizza's going to be better. And the daiquiris are going to be ice cold. Located right there at Fan and Mart on the res. Available for delivery, carry out, and of course, dine in. And that includes the daiquiris, guys. Get the daiquiris to go. Check them out. Acme Pizza and Daiquiris. All right, Sean, let's read some text messages. And uh, then I want to get into the initiative stuff. Um, Pull up my app here. Hey, we, did we ever confirm how many homicides we're sitting yes, at in Yes, okay. Jackson? I'm glad that you said that. So this morning, I, I saw last night someone said three, but then again this morning they said eight. So it's eight. Let's that's see. what I believe that's correct. Let's see if the WWT murder tracker is is correct. I got it pulled up here. Uh, while that's loading, um, a couple text messages. Bobcat says, Trump has never been convicted of rape. If you continue to allow John to spew his lies, legal action may be required. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man, that, that rape thing, that was the most... They created that whole law up there in New York to where past alleged victims could come back no matter how, and, and, and it, it wasn't makes, a criminal; it was a civil no, lawsuit. Yeah, it was a civil lawsuit. I mean, so he wasn't convicted, really. You know, yeah, I mean, Trump, and then they scolded Trump for saying that she was a liar, bro. It's she, I've even got video of her. Actually, as a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, I've I know for a fact I have that saved here to my ex bookmarks. Here we go. This is this is E. Jean John. I hope you're still listening. This is E. Jean Carroll on on. Um, Anderson Cooper's CNN show saying he did not sexually assault her. This is the Democrats don't want you to hear this. You don't feel like a victim. I was not thrown on the ground and ravished, which the word rape carries so many sexual connotations. This was not this was not sexual. It just it it hurt. It just what it just you know. Well, I think most people think of rape as a. I mean, it is a violent. Assault. It is not. I think most people rape. think of rape as being sexy. Mm. Well, what else? Let's is take it? a short break. Think of the fantasies. Mm. We're just going to take a quick break. If you can stick around, we'll... he's mind boggled. He's like, uh, 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 we can... let's listen to it one more time. Well, what is it then? If it's not yeah. rape, okay, I'm confused. Yeah, let's, yeah, let's listen to this Explain. one more time because it's so wild. I think you need one time to register and another time to listen. You don't feel like a victim. I was not thrown on the ground and ravished. Which the word rape carries so many was not thrown on the ground and ravished. Any sexual connotation. This was not. This was not sexual. For it just it it hurt. It just what it just you know. Well, I think most people think of rape as a. I mean, it is a violent assault. It is not. I a think sexual. most people think of rape as being sexy. Mm. Being sexy. Let's take a short break. Think of the fantasies. Mm. Fantasies. I, what, dude? I think that this what? alone makes the whole and that's thing. That's Anderson real. Cooper. That's on Anderson Cooper. And so, 
who who in that most world pe- is respected. But let's look at listen to the question there. Most people think of rape as se- yeah. yeah. I mean, most people think of murder as dead. I mean, yeah. are you? I mean, you know what I mean? Like, I, I get that. Yes, a rape implies there was some sort of uh, you know unwanted sexual action. Yeah, I've never thought of rape as. Sexy time. Yeah, I, I, I know, didn't think without it, the sex. I mean, it's not like some form of BDSM. Like no, I don't, I don't know what 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 else would you think of rape as? She's, I heard she's had a fantasy. I, I mean, like rape fantasy. But I, those they, people they, go to jail. They, they do. They, without, if you do a rape fantasy, you're probably going to you know probably yeah, going to prison. Yeah. Now you can be you can fantasize, I guess. And God, I'm, if I offend anybody with this, I'm not trying to. I guess in some weird world, you can fantasize about being raped. You know, there's people who are into stuff. Yeah, yeah, I mean, right. You, you know, know. And, and I mean, any 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 uh, victims of sexual assault out there that heard that, or, uh, I'm just I'm trying to get my my head in the space of a crazy person. I mean, I just don't. What other way does what other connotation does the word rape give other than yeah. an unwanted sexual encounter? I mean, John, feel free to call us back and uh, rebuttal. Oh, uh, your 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 Donald Trump being raped, uh, an accused, a convicted rapist. So what was he found? Li- it's not convicted. He's libel, right? No, I, mean, I, I know no, John. I know you didn't say. I'm saying John said. Yeah. But did, so libel of what was it? What was he actually found liable for in that Gene Carroll thing? Uh, if it wasn't, she's saying it's not right. What was it? it I, was I actually, don't remember. It, it, wasn't it slander? Or, or it's a defamation him. case. Isn't yeah, it was it? a defamation yeah, case. Okay. But wasn't there another? I, I, I get confused. I mean, I really yeah. do. There's so many Trump cases. I'm laughing because I'm like, there's this. Like, I need like a mind map or flow chart so I can I look know. at this. It's, I just it, really it, get confused. It's ridiculous. Let's read some more text real quick. Uh, Reagan says, Reagan says, she sounds drunk and high. Most people don't think of rape as being sexy. No, I, people do not think of rape as being sexy. If you do, let me know because I need to add you to a list. It was he was found liable for defamation and pull up and sexual abuse, and the jury awarded her five million dollars in damages. So sexual, so it wasn't a, it was a sexual abuse in some context or whatever she's saying, but it wasn't. What was the abuse though? I yeah, I mean that's what I'm getting at. Like, what is the abuse? Hmm. All right, let's take anyway. Let's take a call here. Uh, by the way, it is DJ Hayes tonight at Acme Pizza and Daiquiri's. Hey, you're, you're on that something ain't right. Sorry, caller. Every time I spoke in, it got static out of it. All right. Hey, I will say this, guys. If you're calling in, um, please have your windows rolled up on your vehicle and preferably off Bluetooth. Oh yeah, um, much more. I was gonna say. Oh well, we've got what Fred calling at eight thirty, and it's eight yeah, yeah, sixteen. Fred, Fred calling at eight thirty about the uh, about the initiative. Yes, which and, is pretty interesting stuff. All right, let's try this phone call one more time right. here. Hey, you're on there. Much better. Can you? Yeah, cool, cool, cool. This is Elrod. What's up? Hey, brother. Uh, what's going on? You know who finds rape sexy? Rapists. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Rapists <laughs> yeah, I guess they so, do. You know, right. you know that, that's the whole thing. If it, it either happened or it didn't happen, there's a gray area that people are trying to express that words are violent and words are physical, and we've lost the sticks and stones mentality in it. Here we are down the drain where people are assaulted by words. So, that's uh, yeah, kind of um, that, that is a great, great point. I mean, just and I guess that's where we're at now. Is like if you, if you taught, if you cat call a woman, is that rape now? Is that what we're saying? Yeah, that's uh, that's what they're trying to say. They're saying that that's violence. Uh, words and thoughts are violence. This is where you know people who haven't read 1984 don't realize where we're going with the whole thoughts or violence 
uh, aspect of our lives. You know, it's, it's humanity. They're trying to put a, a boot on humanity to where we can't, you know, think. And uh, how did you get together with your woman? You know, because my wife tells me all the time, if we had an HR, I would be fired. Huh. <laughs> because uh, uh. I sexually assault her all the time. But, you know, it's, it's flirt. That's, that, you know, it's humanity, man. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 if 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 words are rape, I am definitely a convicted multiple time <laughs> predator. Uh, you're, we're offenders, bro. You know, hey, look, I live in Facebook jail. You know that that's true. But, yes. Uh, you know, it, it's the real world connotations of this this mindset is mind boggling, and you know, AI is making it all happen for Meta. Meta's the biggest investor in in AI, so. That's yeah. going to be fun to see what they do with uh, Facebook and AI on the whole censorship front. So we'll find out. Yep. How you doing, brother? I'm excellent. How are you, man? Good, man. Good. Glad you called in, man. I was thinking about you the other day. Well, I was I was uh, going to call in yesterday, but it felt like we said the APAB, all politicians are bad. He, he said everything I wanted to say, so I didn't call. <laughs> got, got it all out for you. Yeah, I got, I, got, I got a chuckle out of that, AK. That's good stuff. We're going to have a good one on here in a minute, man. Fred Shane's doing some good fighting for us down there, so I ain't going to throw all of them out with the bathwater, but uh, there's definitely some that need to be thrown out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. all right, brother. Take it easy. All right, bud. All right, peace. Yeah, that is a very interesting. I, I, and That wasn't exactly where my mind was going with that, but... Mm. Elrod articulated that better than I could. I think that's right. I think, I think people are saying, "Hey, girl, I'd like to, I'd like to get that," and you know, like it's a rape. It's a rape. It, you know, it, it, it's so. If that's the case, or all, is every time you slide in somebody's DMs, is that rape? Oh, that would bring us to that conversation we had many months ago. Yes. If you, if you, if you, if you, because uh, I would a, think, I would think an unwanted, an unsolicited. Uh, pick, yeah, would be considered sexual assault under That's this. New, could you imagine how many people are getting prosecuted? Half, like, our, half the people listening to this show right now are like, Clay, shut oh, up. Like, shut I don't have many ideas. And, and if you need a lawyer, guys, I'm practicing law, though. I can help yeah. you out with that. <laughs> <laughs> so, if you, if anyone, you or anyone you knew slid a uh, pee-pee pick in somebody's inbox unsolicited, <laughs> I'm going to start a class action. Can we drag Ambien in on this, too? Because yeah. I wouldn't, would have never done it if it wasn't for the Ambien. Yeah. Uh, go ahead and pull the medical marijuana industry in. I, I was voluntary my, toxication is not a defense. <laughs> you just you know. Oh man, good stuff. All right, look, let's uh let's take a break. I'm efforting Fred Shank so we get him on the on the right time here. I tell you what, let's read a few more texts. Let's read. A few I more got texts. a good text on that one. A friend of mine who will remain nameless. Man, I would be screwed and, and keep throwing away. <laughs> yeah. gonna name sent me that. But. <laughs> uh, somebody said disturbing words. Should be assault. Distrusting words should be a. What is a distrusting word? I mean, I know what I knew. Distrust is lies. Should be assault. Is that what mm. distrusting is? Um, words you can't trust. Yeah. Let's see. Unknown text said, "I've been, I've been to the lingerie dressing room at Berg Bergdahl's Bergdoff's. I guess that's where this happened at in the late nineties. There's always a saleswoman right there with you. She just saw him and had a fantasy." He was all over Manhattan, and women actually chased him. Absolutely, I'm look. I'm not. I'm not trying to to say that women don't get sexually assaulted. I'm just trying to say that ugly women don't. By Donald Trump. 
Well, also, and this happened in the 19, 1995. Yeah. I just got this real issue with these, you know, things that get brought up 30 years. I mean, even like Kevin Spacey, that whole yeah. thing. And, and I don't know. Just, I mean, and look, and even I got propagandized into thinking that he was guilty. Mm-hmm. I was like, I was like, oh, there's no way out of this, and I didn't care that it was gay or whatever else was involved with it. I was just like, oh yeah, he was definitely a pedophile, little young boys, and then kind of find out he wasn't. Well, there's a, you know, there's a reason we have a right to a speedy trial because memories fade over time. Yeah. Those things, you know, and and I understand that like it's it's different in those you know murders. There's no statute of limitation, sex cases, but I mean, you know, you're talking about like something that happened and in, in, never went reported for thirty years, and all of a sudden this is an issue and. And I, I don't know. It just it's 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 just there's there's a lot of abuse abuse on that side. I think that can take place too. Absolutely. Let's take a call from Ryan. Hey, brother, you on there? Hey, you man. Long time no here, man. I've, I've been working a crazy schedule, but I, I got some homework for you. And I know this is a little off the subject, but you know, um, I know you're the guy that can get the answers. Um, I may be looking to get into law enforcement, man. Um, and I want to know what branch. I mean, not branch, but which uh, city or municipality were offered the best. Benefits package, the best starting pay for a brand new officer or recruit, whatever it's called. Yeah, I'll look I, into I, that. I you have relationships with, with Capitol Police, so, um, you know, Jackson needs to help, man, but you know, if I'm putting my life on the line, man. I, <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. You're like, yeah. I, I, need get, I need to get paid, man. Ryan, you're assigned to the Queens. Get on after it right now. They'll hire you today. <laughs> $25,000 a year. Here's your gun. <laughs> yeah, here you go. Shoot yeah. it out. It's like the old West where they just throw you the badge. You're like, get in there and uh, just shoot it out. All right, brother. I'll, uh, I'll definitely look into that, Ryan. Have a good one, man. Hey, thank you. You too. Yeah, brother. You know, that's actually a, a good question. We just ought to bring a recruiter on here sometime, uh, pol- you know, a couple of the police recruiters and, yeah. you know, kind of see how the benefit packages stack up. All right, look, let's take a break. I'm efforting Fred Shanks to call in here in just a few minutes to discuss the ballot, the return of the ballot initiatives with a couple of caveats. That, that, that have been added to it. It hasn't passed yet, but it could be on the cusp. This is the Clay Edwards Show with Sean Yurkaran. We'll be right back. Welcome back into the Clay Edwards Show. This segment is going to be brought to you, or this phone call is going to be brought to you by Guns and Gear, located right there at Highway 51 North in Gluckstadt. Get out there this weekend, see Hunter and the team. They're open today and Saturday. Check them online, gunsandgearms.com. Or go see them in person right there. Fannin, not Fannin Mart, that's Acme Pizza and Daiquiri's. Get out. Highway 51 North at Yandale Road in Gluckstadt, Mississippi. That's Guns in Gear, home of No Limit Ammo. They got all your guns, ammo, accessories in stock. And, of course, they can take care of all your gunsmithing and Cerakoting as well. And don't forget, they buy guns. That's Guns in Gear. Highway 51 North, Gluckstadt, Mississippi. Again, shop them online, gunsandgearms.com, and follow them on Facebook for the deal of the day. I'm telling you, always some smoking deals there on their social media accounts. Give them a follow, Guns and Gear MS. Let's go to the phone line. We've got State Rep Brandon, Mississippi, Fred Shanks. How you doing, brother? Hey, Clay, what's going on this Friday, man? Glad to be here. Yeah, well, thank you. I, I, saw you uh, I saw you went a little viral yesterday. On all the liberal outlets, you were their cover story. So I said, like, well, you know what? I, I know a guy. I know a guy that knows a guy. Let me see if I can get Fred on the phone. Yeah. yeah so uh, so what we did yesterday is uh, originally the ballot initiative, it got invalidated by the Supreme Court back when medical marijuana was on the ballot because there was uh, – we used to have five congressional districts. We have four now, and the language never got changed, and to put – 
to, for a citizen to put something on the ballot, which they could do at the time, you had to have so many signatures per congressional district. Well, that got invalidated by the Supreme Court, like I said. So we do not have a process to do that right now. And the House, we've, we've tried. This is my third year to try to do this, but you know, we're trying to restore the, the rights of the initiative process to the citizens. Uh, and we we passed it off the House floor, so that was a big win, you know, for Mississippi. Still has to go to the Senate, but you know, things look okay there. And uh, uh, obviously, one of the big dust ups in, in the thing is we we took off the table. You can put anything you want to on a ballot. You just can't put you know, an abortion bill on there. And there was a few reasons why we did that. And that, that really got yeah. things kind of stirred me, up. That's what me and Sean are curious about is, I mean, I know as a pro-lifer why it yeah. should be on there, but I also look at it like, well, is, is this, just because I agree with it, is this an acceptable form of tyranny that I'm just supposed to accept? Uh, so yeah. I, I would love to hear how that, how, how, how y'all came to that being on there as well as the right to work stuff. That's right. So, on the on the abortion issue, that has been um, a, a major policy issue for the House for the past twelve years. And you know, a lot of people may or may not know, but the bill originated out of the Mississippi House of Representatives that ultimately overturned Roe versus Wade. And it, it's just something that we've championed, and we're you know we're trying to stand tall on the rights of the unborn. And we just said, look, that's that's going to be off the table, and you know you can put whatever you want to on it, but you can't touch that. Just say ele- know, elections have consequences. We won. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, and, and and we do know that there was a <clears throat> there was an initiative battle in New England. And I, I'm losing. I can't remember the state right now, but there was fifty four million dollars spent on an initiative to 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 do just that to take on the abortion issue on on a ballot initiative up there. And, you know, it's just we've worked hard on it. It's been a, a majority of the House, you know, position. And, you know, it's like, no, we're, we're, we're going we're gonna to stick to our guns on it. And what about the right to work stuff? That was in there. I mean, that's that's going to be like unionizing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was just one of the things we, we you know, the, the industries here, you know, we've been in talks with them for years. And you know that was something we, we weren't going to budge on. Well, I think well. it's the, I think it's the reason we got we just got the Amazon stuff is we're a right to work state. You know, the last yeah. thing they I mean I think they're leaving they're leaving union states they're leaving blue states for greener pastures in these southern conservative controlled states because of this very very issue. I mean, obviously you uh-huh. know we we're, we're helping them out with some tax breaks and, and incentives and stuff, and that's fine. I don't necessarily have a problem with that, but yeah. I mean I, I think that they've they've learned. What happened in these blue states? I mean, Elon left California, Tesla. You know, I yeah. mean, you're seeing the uh, 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 eastern migration from western and blue states. Uh, hey, that's a good point. A hundred percent. These two companies are well, one's three companies combined. The one in Marshall County, and I mean, that's a billion dollar deal. Uh, two thousand jobs, multiple triggers and clawbacks that they they would have to pay back if they don't keep up their end of the deal. And then the one we did yesterday which is an Amazon, uh, a division of Amazon. And absolutely, they're, they're, they're not going to waste. They have, they pay people millions of dollars to find places to put their – I mean, we're lucky to have both of them. And they're not – you know, they see any any infractions like that. They're not fooled with that. Yeah. So, yeah, good point, and you're 100% correct. Sean, you got anything? 
No, 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 no. Just no. nothing. I mean, um, I mean, I think you asked the question. Really, I mean, that was Fred. That was the question I had. Was like, why the um, abortion was added to oh. this? I mean, it, um, is there? A, I guess I'll ask this way: Is there was there a fear in the House that if it were put to a vote to the people that they would vo- they would vote to uh, put um, abortion to be a pro-choice state, kind of like Ohio did here recently? Well, I, kind of along those lines, we were more concerned about outside groups coming into Mississippi. The, 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 the abortion outside, industrial complex coming in? Correct, correct, because they have the money to do it. And, you know, we had spent all this time, over a decade on this, and it, so we're we were really more concerned about that. And it was not a slight at the people of Mississippi, but we just, we don't want outside, you know, agitators coming in on something like that. And also to have the, the initiative, since it's a constitutional amendment to have that, we had to have a two thirds vote, which is the biggest percentage vote to get something passed that we have in the house. And I had some colleagues that they, they told me they were like, Fred, I, you know, I, I will only vote on it if it has that on there as well. So, you know, I thought the having the ballot initiative process to the citizens far outweighed excluding abortion on there. And, you, know, you know, I had to get to, I just didn't have the votes to do it without that on there. And look, and I, and I read it, this may not, it still may not pass the Senate. Delbert sounds like he ain't on board. Yeah, that's what I was about to, that was my next question. Delbert, Mississippi Today had reported that Delbert had said that he was, um, he was only for something that they could vote. Everybody could vote on anything they wanted to. Well, you know, I, I don't quite know where he's at on it. Uh, the Senate, you know, we did run into some roadblocks with them in the past. But I will say, um, I've heard that you know, it, the the chairman that the bill went to, the resolution went to last year is not there anymore. There's another chairman there, and he, I, you know, I believe he'd be more apt to to really work with us. And then I've, I've heard another senator is actually going to present the bill. I keep hearing that, and I know him pretty well, and I think he, he would like to see something, you know, go through over there. So it's more positive than it was the past two years, I'll say that. Hello, and uh, here's a text that we just got in from one of our great texters, Reagankin. And uh, this, is a, this is a unique uh take on it he goes i truly hope no ballot initiative passes and i'm not gonna read the whole thing but he says the monetary passions of an enraged or shocked people should not determine law uh, okay well that that's, that's that is an interesting point. take <laughs> yeah that, that that's a good point and you know i do have some colleagues that feel the same way on that too and that because we're we're a republic so we yeah. the representatives and senators we're elected to represent our people and if our people if you're a good Look, if you're a good legislator, and you know somebody comes to you, one of your one of your uh, district members comes to you and, and wants you to do something, and it's a good idea, you you should take it, run with it. If you're a conscientious, you know, legislator, and uh, you know that's what I try to do. Yep. So that's a, that's a very good point. Yep, Fred. I'm not going to keep you long, brother. Look, you got anything you want to close with? Uh, no. I, but I, you know, I'm glad you brought up. You know, Mississippi had two in the past two weeks. We've had two. You know, not home runs, just absolute grand slams on what we're doing and bringing in, you know, with these uh, new businesses to Mississippi. And, uh, I mean, we're on up and up. I mean, it's a, it's a it's something to be proud of, and uh, it's going to help all of us. And there's more coming. It, I, I know. Hey, look, um, I'm very excited about it. I, I know some people say it's, 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 it's corporate welfare. 
type stuff. Yeah. I, I disagree. Yeah. Uh, you know, we, we've got to get our heads out of our butts and drag ourselves into the current century. And with Amazon placing a huge, huge, inv- a $10 billion investment yep. that other, yep. com- other companies um, inside the Fortune 500, I hope, are going to see that. Yeah. And it's a chance um, to turn Mississippi a little less rural. It's the best Mississippi news, well, I think, that I've heard in a decade. Well, I would say. Yeah, you're you're 100. percent And you know, I, well, I talked to the governor the other day. He told us that he said other companies are already they are already in Mississippi, and they're saying what is going on in Mississippi, and we want to be a part of it. That is a direct quote from the governor yesterday. Hey, that's awesome. That's, Look, that's guys, great to hear. That's keep really up, keep up, keep up the good work, Fred, and uh, we'll be following you down there. And of course, you know, open invitation anytime you want to come on here and talk about something. Always. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Fred. State Rep. Fred Shanks from Brandon, Mississippi. We'll be right back with Sean Yurkron on the Clay Edwards Show. Welcome back into the Clay Edwards Show. Um, man, we got we got a hot topic for y'all here uh, coming back from this break. But real quick, guys, let's see here. If you're car shopping this weekend, get down to Mercy House Teen Challenge Auto Center right down there in Crystal Springs, Mississippi. I had them on the show here the other day talking about all the benefits of buying from Mercy House Auto Center. Uh, aside from the fact that you're going to help battle addiction and get the fathers back in homes, you're also getting a heck of a nice vehicle that's been properly reconned, cleaned up, ready to sell. You're getting that at a fair price. They got, I think, 15 Honda Accords on the lot right now, ranging everywhere from about under 10000 up to $20,000. So they got something for about every price range in a Honda Accord. Guys, you can't beat a Honda. I mean, you, I mean, you, you literally, if you just drive and keep the oil changed for all intents and purposes – that car should roll on forever. Anyway, they got a nice selection. Cars, trucks, SUVs, 15 Honda Accords. Good buy there. Anyway, uh, mercyhouseautocenter.com. And if you're in the market to donate your vehicle for a tax write-off, running or not, they, of course, can do that. And you get a nice little write-off there. You 1099 employees, business owners, that's real money in your pocket or in your bank account at the end of the year when you're not having to write a check to the government. So consider donating, and you're getting top dollar for it. You're getting what they sell it for. That's going to be your write-off. It may only be worth like two or three thousand dollars, but if they they get it, they fix it up, they clean it, and they're able to get five or six thousand dollars for it, you get that write-off. That's huge. All right, let's take a call here real quick. Hey, you're on there. Hello. Hello. I mean, I rarely do I do I talk about callers. But, man, you called six or seven times throughout the interview, after the interview, during the break, and I finally get you on the air, and you hang up. Look, if the phone rings, I'm putting you all on hold so we understand how this works. If the phone, when the phone rings, I hit the hold button. You stay there until I come to you or don't call. It's that simple. Thank you. Uh, and that's nothing personal, but that was really aggravating. For the last 10 minutes, the same person called over and over and over and over. I'm not going to interrupt an interview to let you on there. So, anyway, Sean, I got a text. Lay down the law, man. <laughs> I got a text during the show from Jess on the Guns and Gear text line. And she says, but we're just talking about the development. And she says, but why can't we fix Jackson before we keep bringing in more businesses? And just on the top end, Jess, I love you, but that's ridiculous. 
uh, you, you can't let other cities suffer because Jackson has, has suffered a self-inflicted gunshot wound. Yeah. But this is going to help Jackson. Oh, yeah, big time. Severe, immensely, especially with, uh, I would say, like affordable housing. And believe it or not, dollars $1,900 a month is kind of affordable um, for, the, for these type jobs. Yeah, and I'm assuming I don't know that I'm I'm assuming the types of jobs that are going to be engineers, right? No, that's mostly what, so. I think the minimum that the average income can be around sixty six thousand dollars a job. Okay, which, because it was like I want to say fifteen or twenty percent higher than the state average than the state average. You know, it came up to around sixty six thousand. Uh, but of course, there's going to be some top heavy stuff out there too. Mm-hmm. But you know, you're talking about young people. You're talking about being able. To, I, like you said, I I, I assume there's going to be a lot of engineers. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. You know, a lot of engineers, a lot of computer engineers. And that's what they do at Mississippi State. Mm-hmm. You know, you start being able to keep a lot of those folks in state. Yeah, it, this should help with brain drain. And what it's going to do is, you're going to have a lot of people that would have stayed in state that are going to that would have left state. They're going to stay in state. And Sean, you brought up a great point. Where are they going to want to live? They're not going to want to live in young folks. Don't want to live in Madison or Gluckstadt. No, no. They want to live in Belhaven, Fondren, uh, a, a, a revitalized downtown Jackson business district. I mean, all the apartments are down there and ready for people to move in. Yeah. I mean, they redid multiple buildings. I mean, they got the old federal courthouse, the old Edison Walthall that are yeah. basically sitting there empty, mm-hmm. uh, waiting for young people to move in. The King Edwards got apartments in it. Yeah. Um, standard there before. Life. I can go on an electric 308 building, mm-hmm. Ironworks, Dickies building. Dickies, yep. You know, you, you start filling these things up, then businesses start opening up downstairs. Yeah, young people want to go hang out at the brewery. That's what they want to do. They want to yeah. go do. They don't want to. They, they don't want to live in Brandon or Madison and just you know live in a sub- suburb. No. Now, if they get married and stuff, when those days, then yeah, sure. they want to live out there. But at that time, now they're going to want to be. So that's going to help Jackson just on that. I mean, it's going to have more people come in there and move in there and get part of the system. You know. Yeah, and, vote, know, and, which is good. And, and, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and vote. I mean, actually, get some people that may have a little sense voting. Yeah, you know, we could we could turn this could turn Jackson red, based on the few Jackson voters that actually vote. I mean, you know, or uh, or or at least we could pick a better Democrat. <laughs> Let's uh, put it that way. Ch- Chokeway, Ch- Chokeway's people are probably hearing this right now. Well, we must sabotage this. Call up the murderers. Yeah, <laughs> the murderer bat signal. You know, just like hit the it. Murder Incorporated. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. How can we help you? Jackson, uh, some people that actually have jobs and don't want to kill other people are thinking about moving in. Can you please get out there and do what you do? We need a big, scary news story. Yep. I mean, Chuck Way is like studying on how he can absolutely destroy this so it, so they won't move to Jackson. You know, like Chuck Way's putting barriers on Countyland Road. Yep. Let's see. Um, Jess says she, uh, 100%, I want my kids to experience that too, but Jackson is deadly. Yeah, I mean, look, when we're talking about single people moving in, we're talking about or we're talking about people moving in. It's, it's just going to be unmarried, most likely people without kids. I mean, like most people who live downtown aren't folks that are living down there with their kids. No, no. You know, no. some of those buildings even have no kids policies, I believe, right? Uh, I don't know. But probably, though. I could see yeah. that. I mean, you don't want a bunch of living downtown and a bunch of kids running around the building. <laughs> no, uh-uh. I mean, it'd be kind of cool as a kid, but. Yeah, I mean, not. I knew one, I lived at Dickie's building, and one guy had, but he owned the building, and him and his whole family yeah, lived in You remember him? Yeah. yeah. They lived there, which was I thought a, was pretty cool. He was an architect, right? That's right, yeah. yeah. So he, yeah and he, uh, they lived there, but other than that, I didn't see it. So, but yeah, I think that's what's going to happen. It's going to be nothing but good for, it's the best Mississippi news almost. I think, I could almost say this, but it's not hyperbole. It's the best Mississippi news I've ever heard of. Really? Well, I mean, I mean it the, just is. I think the previous largest, without Googling it, the, the announcement they made the other day 
with the battery company, mm-hmm. the EV battery deal, was going to be the largest, or microchip, whatever whatever it is. That was going to be the largest at around a billion dollars, or a little over a billion. And then this is that times 10. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that was quite the escalation. There, it, I, I, escalation is my, my buzzword. If I... If I had to do a shot every time I've said escalate or escalation the last two days, I, I wouldn't be uh, able to drive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean it's just it's 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 amazing news. I don't know, I don't care what tax breaks, whatever they had to give them, you know, corporate welfare, what you want to call it. I don't care. It's this state needs it. I've said for years that Jack, the metro area is a perfect tech hub, and that's what this will help us become. Because you know, like if you don't know if you've been to Raleigh, North Carolina, like it's similar to that. We have good weather here, except for July and August. Other than that, it's good. And, uh, you know, Jan- January's been a little weird. <laughs> yeah, it's a little weird. You know, we're you know we're close to Atlanta, we're close to Dallas, we're close to Memphis, New Orleans, the beaches, and housing here is some of the cheapest in the nation. So I mean, and it it's a perfect place to have that kind of environment. Um, better than you know somewhere like in the Midwest. Like, why would you want to live there? It's cold and things are more expensive. Or in California now, everything's out overpriced and crowded. This is a perfect place for that. And I'm glad to see something like this come here and maybe let this area have the potential that it does have. Yeah, and you know? look, extreme times call for extreme measures. And it's like I just got a text here, and it says, "Whenever the state on the guns and gear text line," and it says, "Whenever the state gets into the using tax dollars to attract business, it's never a good thing." When they do these deals, most of the jobs are brought in from out of state. But that's great. That means that that means you're seeing a population increase. Yeah, which we're which we we had only had what 750 new residents move yeah. in. I mean, if we can keep people, I, I I think jobs like this will in fact help keep people here, mm-hmm. especially when you have a school that specializes in engineers. Yeah. in the state, I, I think it only helps keep them. They can actually go to work somewhere other than MDOT. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Because I think they, there's a lot of engineers in MDOT. That's yeah, true. so. I think it's a good thing. And look, as far as um the the corporate welfare type stuff, mm-hmm. that's how these that's how these deals are gotten now. It's they, they 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 cities put in bids to get Amazon like they do to get the Super Bowl, like they do to yeah. get WrestleMania. You know these big huge events. It's the same way these big businesses. Why would they just go somewhere? They can go anywhere they want now. People will move. If you know they don't have to go somewhere where there's a qualified workforce. You take mm-hmm. the right jobs to the middle of nowhere. They could have put this thing in. In, in, in nowhere Delta, Mississippi, and it and it had the same effect that it's going to have for I there. I do want to talk about that. That's like, I'm glad you brought that up. Well, but first of all, like the argument of like no corporate welfare. Well, would everybody just prefer this have gone to Alabama? I mean, and then we not done it, and then Alabama's got it because they did it. No, I mean that's. I think that's. I'm glad it came here, and then they did what they had to do to get here. Now the Delta thing, I saw that argument. Like, why are they not? bringing development to the delta i'm just going to say this let's just uh, the delta is a region that is dying it has been dying for many decades nobody is going to you can put an amazon plant there maybe some people would move but it'd be a lot harder to attract people to move to the delta than it is the metro area or if you put this you're gonna have to put some smaller stuff there first there's just nothing there's nothing there to do for people to do where they want to move there they could probably put it there and 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 build around it but you're gonna have to go somewhere with some infrastructure got to and i don't mean just just paved roads you know and, and, and water sewer i mean infrastructure as in grocery stores already there people already living there so on and so forth you you would basically have to develop a town from scratch which may not be the worst thing yeah amazonville Amazonville of the Delta. But I mean, think about this, Clay. Like, so, like, say you're 25 years old and you're a couple years out of college and, you know, you're in another state and Amazon wants to hire you and say, move to uh, Greenwood, Mississippi. I'd be like, yeah, I'm going to go take the job somewhere else. 
Yeah. Like, you're just not going to, that's not going to attract people. I mean, just be as yeah, uh, blunt and, as I can be. And no knock not. on Greenwood. If you grew up there, you grew up there. Yeah. And I, I, cause I, I'm not Jackson and I grew up there. Let's take a break. We'll be right Welcome back into the Clay Edwards Show. We got about a minute or two left here. You know, Sean brought up a great point during the break, and we're, we're going to have to touch on this again because there's so many different angles to look at this from. You know, we get upset about them doing corporate welfare and these three hundred, like a three hundred fifty million dollar package to make this happen. Well, did you have other plans for that for that money? Yeah. I mean, just honest. Can we not? Can we not finally just not be negative about something? Yeah, exactly. One hundred percent. I mean, I, I, mean don't, I don't, I don't, I don't get it. It, it. Like I was saying in the last segment. I mean, yeah, okay. Well, Alabama gets Amazon then. Yeah. Or, you know, or what is the think about Florida in the nineteen sixties gave all these tax breaks to Disney and gave them these amazing deals. Can is anybody going to argue that Disney has not been a benefit to Central Florida and the entire state? Yeah. I mean, it was like a cow town before that. So, like, it, I, you know, they got Disney. Yeah, they gave up a whole lot to get Disney, and they continued to do so. But I mean, I, I think. Most people are going to say it was worth it, and yeah, and, yeah. and then like like I said, this is just the first domino to fall. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, you know, like the, these to see these developments come closer to Central Mississippi. This is only going to be good for everybody. The growth should well, be great. Like you said at the break too. I mean, the only thing that's sustaining this metro area is government and healthcare. Yeah, I mean, and that's it. Two biggest employers, government and healthcare. Sean, great show. Thank you. See you next week. Y'all be good. Peace.